All right, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Wilderness Church, and you all look marvelous. <laughs> Groovy, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Luke. We're going back to the book of Luke after having been off of it for two weeks. And some of you went through Luke withdrawal. We've been studying this book now for three years. And we're up to chapter 11. This is what we do at Woodland Hills Church. Nothing fancy. Uh, we just plow through the Bible because this is the word of life. Amen. And uh, so here we're coming to the Lord's Prayer. We last week uh, kind of had the grand finale of the Revolting Beauty series that we're, we were at. If you weren't here last week because of the snow or whatever, uh, you missed something kind of weird. Wasn't it weird? Uh, but it was fun. And so you might want to check that on the website. Uh, but now we're returning back to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11. And I want to entitle this, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. The only words that Jesus ever gave us to pray. And I want to entitle this, A Birthday Prayer. Because here we are in the season where we celebrate his birthday and we're going to be asking the question, what does it look like to pray this prayer during this season celebrating the Lord's birthday? So here's what it says. I'm reading from the TNIV version. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Pray with me here just for a moment. Father, we want to hallow your name. We want to consecrate it, sanctify it, and keep it distinct. Help us to do that. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom come in this place and in our lives as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom come in this message as it is in heaven and use this message to build your kingdom. We trust you, Lord God, to give us to meet our daily needs. And we ask you to forgive us any sins that we have and empower us to forgive everyone who has sinned against us. And we ask you, Lord God, to lead us not into temptation, to protect us from the power of temptation. And Lord, for every person in this auditorium and every person listening by iPod, we just pray you'd open our minds and open our hearts to build your kingdom and send us out of here, radical kingdom disciples. In Jesus' name, we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. This is, as I said, what's called the Lord's Prayer. Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer is shorter than Matthew's version. You find this both in Matthew and in Luke. But Luke gives us sort of an abbreviated version. The, 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 the version that we're more used to is Matthew's. That's the one that's usually prayed uh, when we uh, pray it in church. But the essence of the prayer is the same in both, uh, in, in both Gospels. Jesus says, when you pray. The word when is hotan, which literally means whenever you pray. So Jesus is giving us here, what he's giving us here is the substance of what all of our prayers should look like. He, you, when he says, whenever you pray, the you is plural. And this whole prayer is done in the first person plural. Our Father, not my Father, our Father. Uh, give us our daily bread. Lead us not into, into, into temptation which tells us that this prayer was meant as a community prayer. It's something we're to pray together. You can pray it individually, for sure, but, but its initial intent is to uh, have it a corporate prayer. 
Uh, the fact that there's two versions of this prayer and the wording is somewhat different in both tells us that getting the exact words down isn't the point of the prayer. Rather, the substance of the prayer uh, uh, is, is what's important. Jesus is, is giving us here the major themes that should characterize our prayer life. In fact, they're the major themes that should characterize our life. And it really breaks down into five. First, we're, we're to honor God's holiness, honor God's uniqueness. That's what hallowed be your, that your name means. We're to keep God's name distinct. We're, we're to not loop God into other stuff, using God's name for other purposes. For politics, for example, or for commerce, for, for commercialism, for example. Keep God's name holy, consecrated, set apart, unique, distinct, separate from the world. And we're to long for the kingdom to come. Thy kingdom come, we're to pray. Thy kingdom come, we're to live. And so we're to be a people who don't find, never get too firmly rooted in this world. We're praying for the kingdom to come. And we're to depend on God for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We're to depend on God to meet our basic needs on a day-by-day basis. Fourth, we're to seek right relatedness with God and right relatedness with others. And so if anything's wrong in our relationship with God or wrong in our relationship with others, we're to seek forgiveness to reconcile those things. And finally, we're to seek spiritual protection from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. The whole of the kingdom is summarized in this prayer. The prayer is asking God to make our lives kingdom lives, lives over which he reigns. And in the weeks to come, we'll we'll break some of this down more. We're going to hover on this passage uh, for however long, uh, a couple weeks at least. We'll take a break for for Christmas, but uh, we'll be chewing on the individual components of this as we go forward. Right now, I want to just sort of uh, see the big picture of what this prayer is about, and I want to focus our attention on the first line, the first verse, which says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us, teach us to pray. I want us to note here that the request, Lord, teach us to pray, the request was motivated by seeing the example of Jesus. The disciples saw Jesus praying, as they frequently did, because Jesus prayed a lot, and they said, Lord, will you teach us to pray that way? How should we pray? This is just what disciples do. A disciple is someone whose life is disciplined by another. The word disciple is a shortened form of disciplined one. So to be a disciple of Jesus means you want to model, you aspire, you seek to model your life after Jesus Christ. You seek to have your life disciplined by the example and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so the disciples see the example of Jesus and they want to pattern their life after him. So they want to pattern their prayer life after him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's really what it means to be a Christian. The word means Christ-like, to aspire to be Christ-like, to live your life like Jesus lived his life. This is why you find throughout the New Testament, over and over again, the emphasis on following the example of Jesus, living the way Jesus lived, doing what Jesus did, having the same attitude that Jesus had. For example, it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to abide in Christ, to be in Christ, to be in the kingdom, 
you must live as he did. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, none of us do that perfectly. We're all in process. But our heart aspiration has to be to be Christ-like, to live like Jesus lived, to aspire to be like him, to have our life disciplined by him so that we more and more manifest his likeness. It is a real basic point in the New Testament. It's really 101 discipleship. And so it's reiterated over and over again in the New Testament, and we, we talk about it a lot here. Because it seems especially important in our culture at this time to emphasize this point. It seems to me that many today don't get this. We have a sort of westernized, modernized form of Christianity that to a large degree reduces Christianity down to this. It's about an individual, not a community. It's about an individual, me, getting saved, which basically means not going to hell, on the basis of what I believe. I believe a few right things, and because I happen to have the right knowledge, I'm therefore saved. And large segments of Christendom today have have adopted that reductionistic view of Jesus Christ, and see, of Christianity. And if you believe that, that you're saved by, having, by believing a couple true propositions, then those propositions will not have no impact on your life. In, in the modernized, westernized view of Christianity, how you live isn't really essential. It's what you believe, believing the right things. It really is a modern form of an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. And there are some Christian versions of Gnosticism and some pagan versions of Gnosticism, but they all believe that you're saved on the basis of your head knowledge, the propositions that you believe in your head. And this view, I think, is, this Gnosticism is widespread in American Christianity, which is why all the research shows that, uh, that there's millions of people who, when they're asked by a pollster what they believe, they'll say that they're Christians. But if, you, if George Barner or others do it, does research into their actual lives, their lives don't differ at all from the broader American public. And folks, that's concerning because the broader American public is thoroughly pagan. You have a church that doesn't make a difference. It's indistinguishable from the broader culture. I submit to you that God didn't become a human being and die on a cross to give us a couple true propositions to believe. God became a human being and died on a cross and lived the life that he lived to show us how to live, and to empower us to live that way. Jesus came not to bring a couple of truths that are important to believe. Yes, he did that. But he came to bring a new life. It's called the kingdom of God. He came to teach us how to live and to empower us to live that way. Empower us to be citizens of a radically different, altogether beautiful kind of kingdom. In Jesus, we see the model of what that looks like. Jesus was God incarnate, and so Jesus was the kingdom of God incarnate. He is what it looks like when a life becomes the dome in which God is king. That's the kingdom of God. And so he is the bullseye of what we are to be shooting for. So he gives us a model of what the kingdom looks like in Jesus Christ. And then when we say yes, when we say yes, that we will pattern our life after this, we'll pledge our life to, to, to this, then the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence inside of us, and the Holy Spirit is the character of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. So he begins to empower us to live that way. We commit, we surrender, and now the Holy Spirit begins to replicate Jesus Christ inside of us. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit, our thoughts begin to change, our attitudes begin to change, and therefore our behaviors begin to change. We get out of the old self, we get into the new self, we take on Christ-likeness, and that, folks, is the kingdom of God. You're becoming the kingdom of God. Your life is becoming the dome in which God is king. 
Beliefs are important. I'm all for right beliefs. I like theology a whole lot. But beliefs aren't the end all of Christianity. It's really the the precondition of Christianity. It's kind of like this. For me to have a marriage relationship with my wife, I have to believe a couple things, a couple true propositions. I have to believe that my wife exists. That helps. Um, And I have to believe that she really does love me. I have to believe some things about her. But believing that my wife, Shelley, exists and believing that she loves me, that doesn't make us married. That's the precondition for me being married. Now that I believe those things, now comes the real stuff, and that's when I pledge my life to her and I commit my life to her and it changes me and it changes her and now we walk this thing out. That's what a marriage is. So also, Christianity does require a couple of true beliefs. Jesus Christ is Lord, for example. But that's not the end all. That's not the saving thing. Rather, now, that's the precondition for now living out the pledge that you make, living out the kingdom on a day-by-day basis, surrendering to the Spirit. We're to imitate Jesus in every aspect of our life. And and, and as we become Christ-like, the kingdom of God comes to earth as it is in heaven, and that's why Jesus came to earth. It's about living a new kind of life, living our life patterned after Jesus Christ. And the Lord's Prayer that we just looked at really summarizes what that's about. Jesus kept the name of God holy and sacred, so we're to keep the name of God holy and sacred and not let it get looped up with all the stuff in this world. Jesus' life was centered on bringing the kingdom, so our life is to be centered on bringing the kingdom. Jesus depended on God to meet all of his his basic needs, so we're to cultivate a dependence on God for all of our basic needs. Jesus practiced right-relatedness with God and with others, so we're to practice right-relatedness with God and with others. Jesus resisted temptation, and so we, in the power of God, are to resist temptation. We're to imitate every aspect of Jesus' life. And as we do that, our lives become a dome in which God is king. And that, folks, is the kingdom of God. It's not about just right beliefs. It's about transformation. It's about entering into a new form of life. It's about participating in the life of the triune God. It's about learning how to dance with the triune God. It's about learning how to live not out of your own resources, but out of God's resources. It's about learning how to yield to that abundant life of the Holy Spirit that is inside of you. It's about learning the joy and the fulfillment of living a Jesus way rather than an American way. It's, about, it's a whole new form of life that will go on forever and ever. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. Now, I want to really chunk this down and make it practical. And I don't do that very well. I'm not a practical kind of person. I like to stay in the, in the clouds of, of abstract thinking and theology and that sort of stuff. And now I have a team of people around me. We meet every Monday to process sermons and to look ahead to other sermons. And they are more practical, so they're starting to challenge me to chunk it down more often and make it practical. And so what I do is, is uh, th- ask these folks to, to read the passage that we'll be preaching on, to pray about it, and, and then to share what they feel God's telling them the congregation needs to hear. Uh, like everything else in the kingdom, it, things are always better when you're not going solo. And so the, the, the sermon is done out of relationship. And this team of people thought that it would be good to chunk down the Lord's Prayer to where the people of Woodland Hills Church are at right now. It's always helpful. And where the people of Woodland Hills Church and everyone else in America and the Western world is at right now is we are in the middle of the holiday season. And so my team said, why don't you raise the question of what it is to pray the Lord's Prayer and to live the Lord's Prayer during this holiday season? And so that's what I'm going to do now for the next 25 minutes. Here's the thing about this holiday season. 
I've always found it to be kind of surrealistic. I don't know how it lands with you, but it strikes me as odd. I get conflicted. I get conflicted uh, during, during the holiday season. I, I love it. I love it a lot. And I hate it. Uh, there's this, this cognitive dissonance that, 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 that I, I, I wrestle with. And I don't think it's altogether bad. I think it's kind of appropriate. Here's the thing. On the one hand, the Christmas season, it's celebrating the incarnation. It's celebrating the birth of, of Jesus Christ. It's celebrating God himself becoming a human being. And that makes this the holiest of all holidays. Uh, it, it, it's beautiful. It's magnificent. It's wonderful. We sing sacred songs. We celebrate sacred topics. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And it's beautiful and it's sacred. And we have sacred scenes of the manger and the star of Bethlehem. And, and, and that's beautiful and wonderful. And at no time uh, do, is, is Jesus ever m- talked more about and sung more about in the broader public. And that's beautiful. And people are getting together and that's good. And people are giving gifts and that's good. And, and many of us during this time of year recall fondly childhood memories of Christmas, and that's kind of a holistic, wonderful thing if, if you can do that. So there's a lot that's wonderful and good and beautiful about Christmas, and I love it, and I celebrate it, and I get goosebumps watching some of the Christmas specials every year, and, and, and Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol is my favorite. I, I get teary-eyed every time I watch that, and it's a good season. I love this season. It's a sacred, holy season. That was on the one hand. On the other hand, on the other hand, honestly, it seems to me that there's no time of year that reveals just how pagan our culture is, like the Christmas season. Um, it's, it, 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 there's no time of year that reveals how far from the kingdom the culture is than the Christmas season. Uh, during this, this time of year, consumerism goes crazy. I did a little research on this this, this uh, week and learned that uh, Americans will spend over $400 billion uh, on Christmas stuff this year during the Christmas season. It's incredible. Uh, m- many corporations, many sales corporations, uh, half their income comes during the holiday season. Uh, I, at no time do, do we reveal more thoroughly how brainwashed we are uh, as a whole to thinking that things bring happiness than during the holiday season. Uh, so it reveals how pagan the culture is. We also experience more stress during this, this season, more depression during this season. Um, they say that depression rates just about double during the Christmas season. That doesn't seem like it's a way to celebrate the birth of the Lord. What's going on with that? And we feel stress on a lot of different levels during this season. Stress levels go up, sometimes through the roof, for a lot of reasons. Like, like, like what am I going to get Joe? I've got to buy Joe something. You know, I've gotta, I'm supposed to get Joe a present, and, and he's got everything. What do you get a guy that has everything? Now, he told me he wanted this tie. He's already got 18 ties, but he wants this particular tie, and it costs $75. So not only what do I get Joe, but how do I afford getting Joe when Joe tells me what he wants? How am I going to do that? It adds stress to our life. And when am I going to find the time to buy Joe a present? There's so many other people to buy presents for. And how am I going to get out of bed at 4 in the morning to make it down to Best Buy for Black Friday to join the stampede of people looking for that special sale? It's nuts. You've seen some of the videos on, on the stampedes for that and the lines outside. Uh, it's just kind of crazy, and we feel stressed during this time of year. And the spending goes through the roof. The American Research Group uh, said that they anticipate the average adult this year will spend $859 on Christmas presents. And that's actually down from the all-time high of 2001 when the average American adult spent $1,052 on Christmas presents. What's a little more concerning than that is that over half of that is spent on credit, which means over half of it we couldn't afford, so we postponed payments to later, which means we paid more for it 
uh, later on. It, all of this adds stress to our life. There's another stress that we as kingdom people need to, to, to be living in. How do we balance this Christmas madness that we can't help but being caught up in a little bit? How do we balance this Christmas madness with kingdom concerns? I mean, for example, Joel wants the $70 tie. But on the other hand, several weeks ago we saw that for $70 we can support a child going to school in Haiti for a whole year. How do I balance that? Do I spend it on Joe getting the tie or do I help the kid in Haiti go to school for a year? We, we, we've got a lit, and you want to keep a relationship with Joe. You don't want to tick Joe off and you don't want to come across as a Scrooge. But on the other hand, there's a kid in Haiti who maybe won't go to school if Joe gets that tie. Uh, that's the kind of question we need to live in. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to revolt against consumerism during the holiday season. We talked a lot about consumerism during our Revolting Beauty series. It's one of the things that we revolt against as we bring all of our finances under the kingdom. Well, what does that look like during this, this holiday season? How do we live out the Lord's Prayer during this holiday season? As disciples, we're supposed to keep God's name holy. But I submit to you that God's name is never more desecrated and looped in with other stuff than it is during Christmas time. Jesus sells stuff. As disciples, we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and long for his kingdom to come. But there's no time of the year that loops people more into the, into the kingdom of commercialism than the holiday season. As disciples, we're supposed to trust God for our daily bread, our daily provisions. But there's no time of year where we depend more on our credit cards than during the holiday season. I, I found in my research that almost half of the debt that the average American lives with is accrued during the holiday season. As disciples, we're supposed to practice right-relatedness which means getting forgiven and forgiving others. But there's no time of year, let's be honest here, where unresolved family issues come to the surface more than during the Christmas season. And more often than not, we pretend like they're not there. That's just what you're supposed to do at Christmas. As disciples, we're supposed to seek God's power to avoid temptation. But I submit to you, there's no time of year where we succumb more to the, to the temptations of capitalism and commercialism than at Christmas. Uh, I, I googled, lead us not in, into temptation. And uh, one of the things I found was the cover of this book. It's a book called Lead Us Into Temptation. And uh, just check out the cover there. It's at, it, there's Eve eating from the tree of the forbidden tree. And, the, and there's Adam being tempted. And look at on the tree. It, it's about the consumerism of our culture. Now, I'm not recommending this book because the book's about leading us into temptation, not leading us not into temptation. It's really a book of kind of celebrating capitalism and commercialism and, and, and things of that sort. But the picture, I think, is, is very poignant. We are tempted at every turn to find our worth and significance and value in things. And we're tempted to buy stuff we don't need and buy stuff for other people that they don't need and to buy stuff that we can't afford. In fact, as I was doing this research on lead us not into temptation, I found a whole marketing strategy that uses just this terminology. Lead them into temptation. That's how they talk. And they strategize on how to tempt people. Uh, you've got marketers and economists sitting down with neuroscientists asking the question, how can we more effectively tempt people? Which is all about bypassing our frontal lobe cortex, which does all of our, our judgment reasoning, and getting to our reptilian brainstem where we act, we act more like animals. And we, we, we do things on impulse. Because they know that if you really think long about what you're doing, you won't buy half the stuff you're going to buy. So you want to collapse the thought process, and you want people to be responding to stimuli and, and other things to be buying stuff on impulse. And there's brilliant minds out there strategizing how to do that to us. I feel like a rat in a cage right now. They're trying to manipulate us. All right? And see, to a large degree, they do. 
no time, we've got to ask the question, what is it like to live out the Lord's Prayer? During, in, in our culture where there's this concerted effort to tempting us, and what does it look like especially during the Christmas season? How do we follow Jesus' example and live out the Lord's Prayer during the season that alleges to celebrate his birth, but in the process lures us into celebrating a lot of things that his birth is actually against, that his life is actually against? We've got to live in that question. So I wish you good luck and God bless. Bye-bye. <laughs> that would kind of bite, wouldn't it? Okay, let's think about this. Here's one option. Here's one option. It's not an option that I'm, I'm recommending all of us to take, or any of us to take necessarily, but it's an option. Uh, I, there have been people at Wilderness Hills Church who have just said, you know what, uh, we're not going to buy into it. We're, we're simply not going to celebrate Christmas. Uh, we're just not going to do it. And here's the reasoning. The reasoning says, look, at December 25th wasn't Jesus' actual birthday. In fact, December 25th, we get that date from way back in ancient Rome when they used December 25th to celebrate the birth of the god Mithra, who's a pagan deity. In fact, even Mithra didn't get it originally. It goes back to ancient Greece when they used to celebrate the winter solstice during that, time, uh, during that time, preceding it with 12 days of drunken orgies, which is where we get the 12 days of Christmas from. Isn't that special? And... <laughs> A lot of the symbolism around Christmas it comes right out of paganism. The Christmas tree it comes out of Nordic religion. It symbolizes fertility. The Christmas lights, they come from the old tradition of putting candles on the Christmas tree in order to ward off demons because the demons are always trying to interfere with your fertility. Don't you hate when that happens? And so a lot of the symbolism is pagan. And then people would argue that, look, at Christianity and, and the Jesus and the kingdom have been so co-opted by commercialism that it trivializes Jesus and it trivializes the kingdom. And so the best thing we can do as kingdom people is to revolt against the whole thing. Just don't celebrate it. And I've known people at Woodland Hills Church who have, have, have gone that route. In fact, I knew one family at Woodland Hills Church that left Woodland Hills Church because we wouldn't preach that as a doctrine, that that's what everyone should do. And so they, they left. I actually respect this position. I, I really do. I respect this position. Anytime someone's willing to get that radical, I respect it. As long as you don't get legalistic and self-righteous and judgmental to those who don't do that. If this is what God calls you to do, I bless you and I respect you for doing it. But on the other hand, let's think about this. If you're going to declare war on paganism, you're going to have a lot to shoot at. Today's Sunday. That makes it, this is the day we worship the sun. It's the sun's day. And uh, yesterday was Saturday, so we worship Saturn. And Friday was Frigdag. We worship the god Frigg. Thursday, that was Thor's day. That's right, that's right. Every day of the week is named after some pagan god. Uh, you know, and yet no one gets bothered by calling it that because we don't mean that anymore. The reason why something starts is not the reason why it continues. We shake each other's hand now, kind of routinely, but we're not saying that we're not armed when we do it. But that's how the practice started. Okay, so, you know, the, 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 the names of the months and the days of the week and a lot of stuff about our culture comes out of pagan origins. And so if you're going to start declaring war on everything pagan, you're going to have a whole lot to shoot at. Another thing is this. Yes, we, 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 there's a consumerism and, 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 and temptation about Christmas that we've got to be aware of, but not everything about Christmas is bad. In fact, a lot of it, as I said earlier, is good. It's celebrating something sacred and holy, and, 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 and we can bring that holiness into this holiday. And people are talking about Jesus uh, now and singing about Jesus now more than they do any other time of year. Maybe instead of declaring war on the whole thing, 
we should ask the question, how can we bring more of the kingdom to all this and use this as an opportunity? Since, the, 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 since Jesus is on the table, let's talk about him and, and, and maybe illustrate and manifest more what authentic kingdom living looks like. You may be missing a real good opportunity to spread the kingdom if you're declaring war on it uh, because it's not uh, matching up to the standards that you hold. You may come across as a Scrooge if you do this. And sometimes maybe we have to come across with it as a Scrooge, but, but you've got to pick your battles carefully. You may be straining relationships by doing this. You're just not going to be very much fun around Christmas if you're not going to be participating in the kind of the festivities of the occasion. And that could give people a kind of a negative impression of, of, of your faith. And you may be straining family relationships. And sometimes we need to do that. But you've got to choose your battles carefully. Are you sure God is calling you to make this uh, a stance? And good luck with your kids. Uh, <laughs> You know, here's the thing. You've got to take great care to explain to them what's going on because your kids could grow up resenting Jesus and you because you refuse to celebrate his birthday when everyone else is celebrating his birthday. Just things to think about. If you're called to do that, I bless you and respect you. But the rest of us are going to have to live in this tension. How do we, how do we, how do we live out authentic kingdom living in this time of year which pulls us in a very different direction? Now, there's no rule book on this. There's no like manual on how to do this. And there's no one way to do this, and so we have to seek God's wisdom about this. But I want to lay out a couple of principles. And the first one is, is simply this. Since there is no rule book, I guess we've got to pray. Pray about how the Lord would have you live out the Lord's prayer on his birthday. It's his birthday. Why don't you ask him how he wants you to celebrate it? Now, I think, see, I think that's half the battle because I, most of us don't do that. I, I haven't made it a practice of doing this. And if we don't do this, our default setting becomes that of the culture. We just do what everyone else does. Now, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong, but we, we have to be more reflective than that. Our job is to submit everything to the king to make our lives the kingdom. So we need to ask him, Lord, how would you have us honor you in this season that celebrates your birthday? Now, I don't know exactly what he'll tell you, but I, I can assure you that it will involve doing more of the kingdom, not less of the kingdom. You honor him by doing more of the kingdom. So some people have felt led to honor the birthday of Jesus during this holiday season by, by getting more involved in, in, in volunteer service to the poor and more involved in serving the needy and more involved in serving the lonely. There are so many lonely people during this, this time of the year. And, and, and being involved in ministries that are reaching out to other people. It's really good. Parents, if you bring your kids on, on, this, uh, on, on these ministries to be teaching them what the true meaning of Christmas is all about. Celebrate the Lord's birthday by doing what the Lord did and the example that the Lord set for us to do. Honor him by being involved more in self-sacrificial ministry, uh, ministry opportunities. A second thing is I encourage you to honor God by reflecting kingdom priorities in your spending. Honor God by reflecting kingdom priorities in your, in your spending. Take extra care not to give in to the temptations of commercialism during this season. Now more than ever, we need to practice what we've preached during that Revolting Beauty series, and that is to revolt against the addiction to buying things, the commercialism of our culture. Now what that will look like for you, I don't know. I don't have a price limit that we could give to everybody. You have to seek God's wisdom on this. But I think I'm safe to say this. Whatever else it looks like, it means this. Don't spend money you don't have. Stay within your budget. If you can't afford it, don't get it. Keep the plastic away. 
uh, don't be spending more on, on interest, adding stress to your life uh, than, than, than the cost of the item itself. Stay within your budget. Honor God. By not, now, that may mean that you're going to have to explain to some people why you're not giving as outlandish, the kind of outlandish gifts you gave in the past. You may have to explain that. And just remind them that the Bible says, blessed are the poor. I'm sorry, Joe, I couldn't afford your tie. Uh, but I'm blessed. And be honest, just be paid. There's no shame in being poor. And really, you're not being poor. You're just not playing the game as much as you used to play. Keep your kingdom priorities. Now, it can get hard because we have family and friends that don't think about kingdom priorities when it comes to Christmas. You may have family and friends that totally cave to the pressures of commercialism during the holiday season. And that can create awkwardness. If someone gave you a $300 gift last year and probably will give you a $300 gift this year and you go out and get a $30 gift, you're going to feel weird, right? Isn't this it's kind of awkward? Like, gosh, you really outdid me. So then, see, that, and here's how the rat race goes. You feel pressure to buy Joe the $70 gift because he got you a $70 gift or even more last year. And, and so now you have to go out and buy a, a gift of kind of reciprocal value. That puts pressure on him to do the same next year and then you to do it the next year after that. And we end up both buying presents for one another that we probably can't afford and probably don't need, but we're trying to keep up with each other. And we call that giving gifts. Folks, when you give a gift and use the word have to or ought or got to, it's not a gift. I've got to go out and get presents. How often do we say that? What's weird about that picture? I've got to get presents. Maybe once in a while, there's a person, you know, you go, oh, I get to give a present. That's good. You, you get to give a present. But we live under this ought, this system. And this is what feeds the beast. The beast is fed because all of us are rats chasing the cheese, trying to, you know, it's almost like a covert competition where we got to keep things reciprocal and fair and even. And so we end up spending more that we need. Maybe we got to opt out of that system. Uh, consider talking to your family and friends. And, and, uh, and maybe saying stuff like this. Hey, this year, will you please not give me a real expensive gift? And if all else fails, be honest. <laughs> Just say, you know what? I, I, that I feel re- obligated to, to give you an equal gift, and I know that you'll say I don't have to, but, the, you know, come on. And, and it would just make me feel better if you gave a $20 gift because I can't afford anything more than that. Please. Or you don't have to give me a gift at all. All right? You, you, come on. You, you, give me a card. I, I really, I, the, it's the thought that counts. Just give me the thought. <laughs> Tell me how much you know, I mean to you. You see? Here's an idea that, that one family had. Instead of giving gifts, how about if we give, each, uh, give ourselves to each other for a night? Uh, th- let's go out to a movie together. Let's, th- th- let's spend a night together actually getting to know one another. And that will cost a lot less, and it will also build relationships. How often we give gifts to cover for the fact that there's no real relationship there. Maybe do the opposite. Don't give the gift and actually build the relationship. It's just a thought. I, I think it's a good one. Think of alternative things you can do to spending money on giving gifts. One, one thing that we've done on part of uh, my family is uh, decided that we would, we, we'd pick out names. Instead of buying gifts for everybody, let's, all the people that are involved in our family system here, uh, let's pick out a name and a secret, a secret Santa thing. And every person buys one gift for one other person. So everyone gets a gift and it'll probably be a lot better gift than, you know, you would have otherwise got because you can now pour all your resources into this one gift instead of spreading them out over 30. And, and you save money and actually means something more. Without judgment, think about, without judgment or any sense of self-righteousness, think about maybe explaining to family and friends why you are now adjusting your priorities. Talk about the kingdom. 
What would happen if you went to Joe and said, Joe, I know you want this $70 tie, and I, I, I would love to give you this $70 tie, but the other day at church, they, there's this ministry, and, and they said for $70, I could support a child for a year going to school, and I gave you $70 to the kid. Um, so I can't get you a tie this year. Now, if Joe has any maturity at all, <laughs> I don't think he'll be that bothered by it. Um, in fact, he may really respect you for it. In fact, he might get impacted by the kingdom with that. Like, whoa, I never thought about the possibility that something I get could be used to help somebody in a different part of the world. You might bring a little of the kingdom by explaining to them why you're doing things a little different. You know, just ask God's wisdom on how to negotiate these sometimes funky, sometimes weird, sometimes dysfunctional family relationships we have as we seek to bring the kingdom uh, more into our life and bring sanity more into our life. It's especially hard when you have kids. Parents, I empathize with you. Uh, parents of young children, it's, it's really hard to stay sane during this time of year. Part of the issue is that we all love to delight our kids. It, this, the funnest time in the world is on Christmas morning when the kids come down and their eyes bug out and they see these giant presents. It's what they've always wanted. And they unwrap and they go crazy and they're all, you're the best parents in the world. And, and you know, you're singing and dancing. You've got the video co- recorder going and everyone's having so much fun and it's just a, such a delight. And of course, you, may, you make them say, thank you, Jesus, because that's the meaning of the whole thing. But really, they're going, I got won the lottery. I got the bike. Okay. And see, it's natural. It's really natural to want to delight your kids. That, that's a good thing. I love to delight. When I was, my kids were little, I loved to delight them. And now that I got a grandchild, I love to delight him. In fact, in the interest of full disclosure, I should tell you that <laughs> I made a promise I'd always be honest with you. But see, this kid, uh, when he was six months old, I sat him down on my drum set and played. And the kid's been playing drums ever since. Everything's a drum. Everything's a drum. He, he, he gets spoons and bangs on things or straws and bangs on things. He's constantly, you know, being, doing a drumming thing. He's constantly doing that. So I went out and bought him a little tiny toy drum set. I splurged. And I can't wait to see him see that thing on Christmas morning. His eyes are going to bug out. It'll be beautiful. And then it'll drive us crazy the rest of the day because he's never going to get off that drum set. But see, that's natural to want to delight your kids. But at the same time, at the same time, we've got to balance that. Yes, delight your kids. But see, if you're not careful, you can be indoctrinating your kids that the meaning of Jesus' birth is about them getting presents, getting stuff. That's what it means. And that can carry over into a life where you have people who think that believing in Jesus is all about what I get out of it. He's going to bless me. And, and they use Jesus for their own purposes and they never begin to enter into kingdom life. So we have to take very uh, uh, intentional measures to be teaching our kids something about the real meaning of this season. Uh, maybe explain to them why you're not going to go overboard like you did last year because you spent more than you had last year and, and talk about you know, how Jesus wants us to live within our budget. Um, uh, this is a time of year where on top of giving presents, have them give presents. You know, do, do stuff like this, this partnering program that we have here where, where you have them pick out a toy to give to another child. One family at Woodland Hills Church told me that what they do is they, 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 they have a budget for their kids and the kids get to pick out like four presents that they want or three depending on what meets the budget. And then the parents give the kids two of each of those presents. And then with the child... They find a family in need and they'll work through the church or any other means of doing this. And the child now gives the same gifts that he got, he gives to a child in need. So he can now begin to lock in the value of giving joy rather than just, I think it's brilliant, rather than just getting joy. 
and, 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 and the kid will know, look, it, I could have got more presents if all these were mine, but he'll learn the joy of giving what he's got away. Whatever the means is, you're taking your kids to, to, to nursing homes, to minister to elderly, and this time of year, be teaching them that the real meaning of this is not getting, it's about giving and living in the joy of giving and, and self-sacrificial stuff. Honor God by keeping, reflecting kingdom priorities in, in what you spend. And the third thing, very quickly, simply honor God by practicing right relatedness. This is the time of year, let's be honest, when all sorts of unfinished stuff comes to the surface. And you've got to have wisdom on how to negotiate that. Do you bring up old stuff? What do you do? I, you know, I don't have a rule book on this stuff. But I would say this. If Jesus means anything, he means forgiveness. He came to bring forgiveness between us and God and us and one another. This is the time of year. The best way to honor Jesus' birthday is doing what he came to do, and that is forgive. If you need to ask forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. And if you need to give forgiveness, this is the time to give forgiveness. Now, the person that you're forgiving maybe has no idea that they need forgiving. Maybe even after you bring it up, they still don't think they need forgiving. Maybe they're offended by the very suggestion that, that they need forgiving. And maybe the, the thing is so dysfunctional, you don't even want to bring it up. But what's important is that you, in your heart, release the debt. They've wronged you, release the debt. That's all forgiveness is. This is the time to cleanse our heart of all, of all bitterness, all grudges that we've held Family systems can sometimes just accumulate junk, emotional junk, baggage over years. This is the time to cleanse the slate. That's how you honor the birthday of Jesus. Close your eyes for a moment, and then I'm going to lead us in the Lord's Prayer, our version of it. But I want to give the Holy Spirit a chance right now to just seal this message in our heart. What do you need to learn from this message? Holy Spirit, will you be moving here? In Jesus' name. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. Is there somebody you need to ask forgiveness of? Let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. Has your spending been submitted to the King? Let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you if it hasn't been. And then ask God's wisdom about what it would look like if your Christmas spending was, in fact, submitted to the King. And Lord, tell us how you would have us celebrate your birthday. And give us obedient hearts to do that. And give us wisdom on how to negotiate all the family issues that that might raise. Give us wisdom, Lord. Amen. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come forward right now. And I would, if you're able, I'd like you to stand. I want to close with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer was meant to be a corporate prayer, so I want us to pray this together. It's, it's a prayer. It's a pledge of commitment. It's a petition. And because the particular words aren't the important thing, but rather the themes, I've adjusted a few of the words, and I, I've applied it to the message today. I've, I've applied it to the season today. And so I'd like to close with us praying this prayer. Just join with me as I, I lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we honor your holy, distinct name and refuse to let it be co-opted for commercial purposes. Bring your kingdom to earth and empower us to be the vessels by which you do this, by freeing us from the kingdom of consumerism. 
Help us trust in you to meet our daily needs and not in our bank accounts and credit cards. Forgive us wrongs we've done to you and others and empower us to forgive all others any wrongs they've done to us. Don't let us succumb to temptation, but empower us to resist the pull to find our worth and value in things. Help us celebrate the birth of our King by submitting every aspect of our lives and of this season to His reign. Amen. God bless you folks. Go out and build the kingdom of God. The altar's open. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. If you have any need whatsoever you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward, and these folks would love to pray with you. Blessings on you. We love you.